Around the world, as we speak, Christians everywhere are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The villages of West Africa, the villages along the Amazon River, the house church in China, massive cathedrals all across Europe that used to be packed to the brim with people, maybe now only having 50 or 100 people, are all praising the name of Jesus because today Jesus has been raised from the dead. Now in our context, in South Alabama, many people know the story of the resurrection. They know the story that was just read to us from Matthew chapter 28. So today I'm not as concerned about you leaving here knowing the facts about the resurrection. Instead, I want you to know the theology behind why the resurrection matters. Have you ever considered the implications of what a life without the resurrected Jesus would look like? And this is what Paul just taught on in this passage. You see, in our American context, it is so easy for Easter to become primarily a cultural event rather than primarily a spiritual event. And I don't want you to leave today with the trappings of Easter as a cultural event, but rather, what does it mean for human beings in our relationship with God? That is the theology behind Easter. And we're going to unpack what that is today. Now, in the context of this letter, 1 Corinthians, Paul was dealing with a church that was divided. They were fractured. Some people were elevating the name of Peter, Paul, Apollos, there was division, there was sexual immorality, and Paul had to come in and deal with all of these problems in the church. But in 1 Corinthians 15, he provides a comprehensive treatment of the resurrection of Jesus. Now, we don't have time to unpack the entire chapter, but I would encourage you on your own time to go back and read the whole chapter because Paul does an excellent job of proving that the resurrection of Jesus actually happened. But in this particular passage that was just read, Paul is having to refute a belief that had popped up in Corinth. Some were claiming that the resurrection of the dead was not possible. And so Paul takes that premise, he takes that argument, and he basically blows it up, and he annihilates it. And he says, I'm going to show you that the resurrection of the dead did happen. And here's how we know that it happened. So my points this morning are simply to repeat the points of Paul's argument in this passage. Number one, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ wasn't raised from the dead. Number two, if Christ has not been raised, preaching is a lie. And then number three, if Christ has not been raised, sin and death win. If there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ wasn't raised from the dead. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, what I'm doing is a waste of time. And then number three, if Christ has not been raised, sin and death win. Number one, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ wasn't raised from the dead. I actually want to begin by reading to you earlier in the very same chapter. 
I want you to know what we believe as a church. And it comes directly from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 to 8. Here's what Paul says. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, that He appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve, then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. This is what we believe as a church. That all of the facts surrounding Jesus' life are true. This is not a cultural phenomenon. This is historic from the word of God. Now verse 12 lays out the problem that Paul is addressing. And I addressed it earlier. Some people in Corinth believed that the resurrection of the dead was not a real thing. Now this is a big deal because it would have affected those that had already passed away and it would have also affected those that would one day pass away. So Paul uses that argument that the people believed to show that for the sake of argument... If this was true, that the dead were not raised, then it's impossible that Jesus could be raised. And thus, the entire Christian faith would be in crumbles. But we know, based on the reading of God's word, that Jesus was raised from the dead. Verses 5 and 6, earlier in this chapter, we're told that Jesus appeared to Peter. He appeared to the 12 disciples, and he appeared to 500 brothers at one time. Now, some skeptics have argued that the 500 people is impossible. There's no way that this could have happened. But there's actually a New Testament scholar by the name of Dale Allison who wrote a book called Resurrecting Jesus. And he actually did some research because one of the common arguments against the resurrection, especially this story of Jesus appearing to 500, is that this must have been some sort of mass hallucination. It wasn't really happening. They were hallucinating. Well, this New Testament scholar went back and he read the literature. He became an expert on hallucinations. And here's what he found. Number one, Hallucinations are rarely seen by multiple individuals and groups over an extended period of time. Number two, hallucinations are rarely seen by large groups of people, especially groups larger than eight. Number three, hallucinations have never led to the claim that a dead person has been resurrected. And then number four, hallucinations do not involve the person's enemy. So here's a quote from that book. The apologists for the faith say that the sightings of Jesus must, given the reports, have been objective. One person can hallucinate, but 12 at the same time? And dozens over an extended period of time? These are legitimate questions. And waving the magical wand of mass hysteria will not make them vanish. This is historical truth from God's word. I've done my fair share of funerals through the years. In fact, this week alone, tomorrow will be my fourth in 10 days. And the majority of people, when I go and do funerals, the majority of people in our context, they automatically think that when their loved one dies, 
they will be in heaven with Jesus. But I want you to know that according to Scripture, apart from faith in Christ and repentance of sin, that is not true for everyone. Especially if one were to not to deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ, as we're reading about in this passage. The biblical teaching is clear. Every cemetery that you drive by that you've ever been to, it is full of dead bodies. And these dead bodies will rise again one day from the grave. But the church in Corinth was having trouble believing that. And by not believing this, they were essentially saying, we do not believe that Jesus rose from the dead. The naturalistic worldview believes that this life is all that there is. And when we go to the grave, that's it. Now, if you do not believe in the historical account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then ultimately, you do not believe in the afterlife for anyone that you know. Because there is no afterlife apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That means that when we die or our loved ones die, apart from believing in the resurrection, that's the end for our friends and family members. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus was raised from the dead. And therefore, all will be raised from the dead. When Jesus returns at the second coming... All of those will raise from the dead. Unbelievers will face final judgment. And believers in Christ will receive various degrees of reward for their faithfulness to him. Everyone in this room, myself included, we will all face the judgment of God. It's not a question of who will face judgment, but what will that judgment entail? Eternal life with God forever or eternal destruction apart from him in hell. Christ has been raised from the dead. Therefore, all people will rise bodily when Christ returns. Number two, if Christ has not been raised, preaching is a complete waste of time. Your coming this morning was all for nothing if Jesus historically was not raised from the dead. My very profession is dependent on Jesus being raised from the dead. Paul, however, makes the argument that if Christ was not raised from the dead, then this is a complete waste of everyone's time. We should all go home and just begin eating our Easter lunches right now. But we know that this is true. This is not fairy tale. This is not, to quote Beauty and the Beast, a tale as old as time. This is historical fact. Now, Paul explains in another one of his letters in Romans chapter 10 the importance of preaching. So I'm going to defend my job here for a moment. Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. Paul says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Verse 15 of 1 Corinthians 12 explains that if preaching is a lie, we, myself and thousands of other preachers around the world right now, we are found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. In essence, 
Paul is saying that if the dead are not raised, then those who preach Christ are misrepresenting God. Therefore, a heap of judgment should come upon me at the end of my life. If I am standing here promoting something that is not historically verifiable and fact, to misrepresent God or to speak on behalf of God in a way that would be harmful or deceitful or untrue would bring detrimental consequences upon myself. This preaching would be a lie, but it would also be that all of our faiths would be in vain. To ignore the resurrection of the dead is to not only ignore the resurrection of Christ, but it is to also basically say our faith is worthless, it's futile, and it's in vain. I don't think many of you in this room believe that today. But this is the truth of what Paul is teaching. If Christ has not historically been raised from the dead, then what we are doing is simply a waste of time. The resurrection of Jesus is rooted in historical fact, not just from this book, but another of, um, another, a number of other Jewish and Roman sources from the time period. Even people that weren't followers of Jesus have information to show us that the resurrection of Jesus did in fact happen. Now what I'm preaching to you today comes directly from the word of God. And it is the truth that everyone in this room needs to hear. If you are in Christ today, your faith is not in vain. And you can know that without a shadow of a doubt, because Christ has been raised from the dead and he is now seated at the right hand of God the Father, it is a complete good use of your time to gather with the corporate body every Sunday to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And number three, if Christ has not been raised, sin and death win. Now this is the most important point for us. The first point is most important from a historical perspective. The second point is most important for preachers like me. But this third point is most important for all of us in this room today. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, listen to me very closely, then we all are forever lost in our sin and death is the end for all of us. On Friday night in our chapel, we had a Good Friday service. It's a time for Christians to focus on the crucifixion of Christ and his atonement for sin. And a proper understanding of the death of Christ is essential for salvation and it is essential for the gospel. But Good Friday means nothing without Easter Sunday. Christ's atoning death on the cross for the sins of all of those who repent and believe in the gospel is only atoning if the resurrection happened. The resurrection of Jesus Christ validates that Friday was actually a good Friday. Apart from the resurrection of Jesus, it's just another day. Jesus' resurrection is the sign that God was pleased with the perfect sacrifice of his son for sin. And if God was not pleased with this sacrifice, then the resurrection would not have happened. 
But Jesus was the sinless, unblemished, perfect sacrifice for our sin. When we read in the Old Testament, when the Israelites brought sacrifices before the Lord, they always had to bring animals that were unblemished. They were clean. They were spotless. But in the New Testament, we learn that Jesus is that clean, pure, spotless lamb that atoned for the sins of his people. Jesus becomes that unblemished sacrifice. He was tempted in every way that we are and yet was still without sin. The only sacrifice that God would accept for the payment of sin is a perfect sacrifice. And brothers and sisters, none of us in this room qualify to make that sacrifice. Here's what the legendary R.C. Sproul, I did say legendary, the legendary R.C. Sproul says in his book, The Holiness of God, about sin. He says, sin is cosmic treason. Sin is treason against a perfectly pure sovereign. It is an act of supreme ingratitude toward the one to whom we owe everything, to the one who has given us life itself. What are we saying to our creator when we disobey him at the slightest point? We are saying no to the righteousness of God. We are saying, God, your law is not good. My judgment is better than yours. Your authority does not apply to me. I am above and beyond your jurisdiction. I have the right to do what I want to do, not what you command me to do. This describes every single one of us apart from faith in Christ. But here's the good news of the gospel. God knew this about us. He knew that we were incapable on our own to ever offer that perfect sacrifice that Jesus could offer. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, then that description of us as sinners that I just read has no chance of being changed, and ultimately sin is victorious, and death wins. And if sin wins, that leads to death, it leads to eternal death and separation from God in hell for all of eternity. But that is not how the story ends, is it? R.C. Sproul also says this in that same book. He says, is the death penalty for sin unjust? By no means. Remember that God voluntarily created us. He gave us the highest privilege of being his image bearers. He made us a little lower than the angels. He freely gave us dominion over all of the earth. We are not turtles. We are not fireflies. We are not caterpillars or coyotes. We are people. We are the image bearers of the holy and majestic king of the cosmos. We have not used the gift of life for the purpose God intended. We deserve sin and death. But the crucifixion of Jesus provides another way. And the resurrection of Jesus validates that the crucifixion did in fact atone For the sins of God's people. So what is this good news that we always talk about? The resurrection did happen. Sin does not win. Death does not win. 
Jesus, right now, as we speak, is on his throne, seated at the right hand of the Father. And one day, he is returning to collect his bride, the church. But I want you to know, just because you're sitting in the church today does not mean that you are a part of the church. It is a select group of people that have trusted completely in the finished work of Christ for their sin. It's a group of people that believe in their hearts and their minds that the only good they have within themselves is the righteousness of Jesus in them. So what are you putting your faith in today? A card that you signed many years ago? A prayer that you prayed many years ago? that you have not followed up on in any way, shape, or form. There are many people that understand the intellectual contents of the gospel. There are many people that can affirm the truths of the gospel, but there is only a select few that submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. The gospels tell us that the way to God is narrow. This idea of submitting to Jesus as the authority and king over your life is by far the most challenging aspect of being a follower of Jesus. What it means is you're not in control of your life. And in this individualistic age that we live in, this age of autonomy, people are willing to believe intellectually. They're even able to affirm it, but they cannot submit to Jesus being the supreme authority in their lives. And yet that's what the gospel calls us to do. Tim Keller, the greatest preacher still alive, says this. If you adhere to religion's moral codes and feel accomplished in those activities, you're putting your faith in religion. If you feel validated because you're highly productive and you get a lot done, you're putting your faith in your work. If you feel validated because you're recognized for your accomplishments and you're excelling at work, you're putting your faith in achievement. If you feel validated because you have a certain level of wealth and financial freedom and material possessions, you are putting your faith in materialism. If you feel validated because you have that special someone in your life with whom you could not imagine life without them, then you are putting your faith in another person. And so many people are putting their faith in all of those things. Wealth, materialism, work, productivity, achievement, other people. And none of those things can make us right with God. Jesus Christ and him crucified and resurrected is the only thing that makes us right with him. And unless we repent of our sin, which simply means to turn away and believe completely in the finished work of Christ on the cross, then there is no hope. But the good news of the gospel is that there is hope. Believe in the resurrection of Jesus today. Because if you do not, eternal separation from God is your destiny. But if you repent of your sins and believe in the gospel, you will spend eternity with God in heaven. Submit to Jesus as the king and authority over your life. Sin and death do not win in your life if Christ is your savior. As I mentioned earlier, I've been 
doing the funeral circuit here lately. We've had a number of dear saints in our church go on to be with the Lord. And the other day I was visiting with a family. Reed and I went to visit with a family. And we gathered around the man's bed. He was breathing heavily. His wife was in tears. So we sat with him. We prayed with him. We read scripture. And then we left. And later on that night... This faithful man went to be with the Lord. And as I was reflecting over his life, he had much success. He was a successful businessman in the community for many years. He was a faithful husband, faithful father, faithful grandfather, faithful to his church, to this congregation. Brothers and sisters, none of those things or why he is in heaven today. The only reason that he is in heaven is because he placed his faith in Christ alone for salvation. And now he feels sorry for all of us because we're stuck here and he is in the presence of Jesus Christ. Christ is our only hope in life and death. And it's your only hope in life and death. And it's my only hope in life and death. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives all of us hope in life and death. Repent of your sin and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you will be with Jesus for all of eternity. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for this passage. This is real. This happened Your word confirms it. Today we celebrate it. This is not some fictitious tale. This isn't fairy tale. This is biblical. It's truth. Father, I pray that if there is anyone in this room today that has never repented of their sin and believed in the gospel, that they would simply pray and confess their sin and ask you to come and live inside of them and that they would submit to your authority as king of kings and lord of lords and they would relinquish control of their life and say, Jesus, you are now in charge. Father, we thank you for the resurrection. We celebrate today with all of our brothers and sisters all around the world that you came, lived a perfect life, died was resurrected, and now you are seated at the right hand of the Father, orchestrating all of history according to your divine plan. And for that, we worship you and we thank you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.